Welcome to another episode of the Destination Linux Podcast. Welcome to episode 85 of Destination Linux. This is a podcast of opinions made up of semi-intelligent people discussing our love for Linux. Today with me, we have Zeb. Zeb, what have you been up to this week? Well, I finally got my IC dock installed. Oh my gosh, it's only been three months. Something along those lines. And now I've just got to work out how to get the SSDs back out. Because they're stuck. <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're jammed in it? Yeah, you press the eject buttons and it's like hitting a brick wall. Nothing nothing works. Did so, you screw them in or just place them in the trays? No, just place them in the tray. But they've got this huge spring mechanism that you push past and then it and that obviously is holding them down. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, and I think... Um, I got an email from someone because I described it elsewhere in a, in another episode that I was doing somewhere, and they said you need to get an old laptop um, SSD drive that's busted, and just keep ramming it in and out to loosen <laughs> the spring. This is so the that, fix for a brand new icy dock. Yep, just to keep pushing the the, nice. the drive in and out so it loosens off the spring. Mm. So we'll have to give that. I don't a think word. that's. I think I don't think that's really necessary. <laughs> But he said he said afterwards it would work. So he, okay. he said he hopefully still works afterwards. So I just haven't got a laptop that's broken yet. You could also send it back and just get a new icy dock. But then we'd have to wait three more months to find out how it works. <laughs> exactly. But then the other really important thing was a challenge to you, Ryan. Oh yeah. I now have five thousand retro games to play on my Raspberry Pi. Oh my goodness. And how many of those are 3D intense AAA graphic games? Um, I've just written here, just up Ryan's alley, all pixelated and old school. (laughs) (laughs) We are talking 1980s amusement arcade games, Galaxy, all that sort of stuff. Um, Asteroids, you had to move the ship around. Nice. Space Invaders. Ah, everything. It's, It's been a blast. I've played three. And do you love do you love it? <laughs> it's 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 great to be able to show the grandchildren and say, look, this is what we used to play, not <laughs> what you're used to on the Xbox and the and the PS4. Right. And they're right. and they're terrified. Yeah, really interesting. I'm, I'm enjoying messing around with a pie. It's good. So is the challenge that you have five thousand retro games and you're asking if I can get more because you're on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have I'm going to have a terabyte external drive, which I happen to have dedicated (laughs) games on my Raspberry Pi, and I'm going to fill it to the brim. And then I'm going to get the notice from attorneys that uh, I've pirated too much software. (laughs) That's the spirit. (laughs) And so also with us today is Michael. Michael, what have you been up to this week? Uh, I've been doing quite a few things about getting the, the, the show ready to do a lot of like some new graphic overlays and stuff like that. And I've been doing some, like, just basically changing the infrastructure of the show enti- and, like, in general. But I also decided to try something out that I found. I've actually already seen this a long time ago, and I never really gave it a chance. And then when I recently gave it a chance, it's, it blew me away with how simple it is and how powerful and useful it is. I added some usage tracking and analytics to the Destination Linux website. The reason why it's amazing is because it respects user privacy and user freedom because the analytics are controlled by the Destination Linux website. Can I opt out? Yes, you can. Okay, good. You can if you if you say do not track on the browser, it just refuses to 
track you. And if you don't do that and you allow it to track you, it still anonymizes all the data anyway. So it doesn't keep track of IPs or anything. Like for example, there's you know there's four pieces of IP address. There's there's four sections. The last two sections are automatically obfuscated to zero. So it doesn't remember cool. who you are or anything. Can you so send it to I- yeah, can you send it to Google? <laughs> so the idea behind it is we can see what pages people visit the most on Destination Linux and mm-hmm. how many people listen to the podcast right, from which, the website. Or, right, how often they, how, how long they stay on the website before they go to a, like listen to a podcast or something like that. Like all, all the different variables that you would normally get from analytics software, but it's self-hosted. I want, the, and I want their information and I want to know if any of them click on another podcast <laughs> Before finishing ours, that's the type of data we need to get to, Mike. Right, I agree. I'll I'll, yeah. I'll see if that's a plugin or something. All right, perfect. All right, so we also get to read some emails this week. We got a lot of awesome emails. We picked one uh, to be featured in the show. And Zeb, what did this email have to say? And they started off. This is in response to you guys asking us to share what we do on GNU Linux, and. They go on to say that hereafter, I'll refer to this as simply Linux. And I'm really glad they said that um, because GNU Linux isn't particularly easy to say. They go on to say something about their blog site and we can go and read a a longer version if we wanted to. But they're quite happy for us to um, shorten it up a bit because they tend to be a a bit long winded. The first computer they ever used was one of the clunkier, junkier Chromebooks. Uh, hey, I had a Chromebook gigahertz. once. <laughs> yeah, a 1.1 gigahertz dual-core processor, two gigabytes of RAM, and a 16 gigabyte SSD. Uh, and they go on to say that it was great, and they had it for about three years. And then they grew tired of it and, and jumping through hoops and trying to do all sorts of bits and pieces. And, and then when they were 14 or 15, they found Ubuntu. So they started distro hopping, looking for the lightest thing that they could get to work. And they ended up on Arch. They were then fortunate enough um, to uh, get his girlfriend's father's, who was an IT guy who worked for NASCAR. Now, I thought that was quite, you know, quite, cute there that they just dropped nascar yeah. into the middle of it's it a little and casual it's IT, <laughs> yeah this it guy works for nascar and they bought the person a real computer for their birthday nice i tried windows for three days and hated it and they go on to say that now i'm on arch again now this section next is what what gets me because they go on to say i said at the beginning that i don't do anything particularly special and i really don't i've done a bit of graphic design in inkscape and gimp and I'm learning how to use Caden Live. I'm a noob gamer. I, work, I get work done for my college classics. I volunteer extensively for UB ports. And I've got a bunch of programs. I said, whoa, hang on a minute. I volunteer <laughs> extensively for UB ports, and that's not special? Yeah. Brian, tell us why that's special. Well, I mean, listen, I like the fact that they don't think it's special, but they're doing something that a lot of people in the Linux community, not a lot of people, but certain people in the Linux community don't do, which is take the next step to figure out a way to actually get involved in the projects. And here they're actually getting involved by volunteering extensively in their words with UB Ports. UB Ports is doing a lot of great work out there, not only continuing the Unity platform, but also they are doing work with the mobile platform as well. So it's a really cool project to be involved with. And they also go on and talk about that they take Linux courses through Udemy as well. So they're, they're really 
what I love is they're engaging themselves and not just using it, right? They're talking about learning to use Inkscape and GIMP, but actually getting involved and volunteering in the project as well. And that to me is pretty amazing. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's it's definitely special. Like there's the amount of people who use Linux needs to be higher, but it's, it's, you know, it's already great. But the amount of people who contribute to Linux uh, would be very much, you know, special if that was to increase. So, like, just being extensively helping out with the UB ports is is awesome. So, like, if you don't think you're doing something special, you totally are. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And Gideon obviously watches the show because he goes on to say, "I self-host both my next cloud server and my blog on Raspberry Pis." So there you go, Ryan. You've now got to try and get a net cloud server onto the Raspberry Pi. I'm going to make it happen right after I run out of credit on Linode and DigitalOcean. <laughs> so Gideon ends up by saying, how much of that could I have done on Chrome OS? If it was a modern Chromebook, I would have been able to do some of it, certainly, but not all, and definitely not to this level. What I do on Linux is because of Linux. What started out as simply a way to liberate myself from the shackles of web apps has become an incredible passion of mine. Um, And long-winded you might be, Gideon, but that was a great email. And please don't sell yourself short. Some of the things you do on there are very, very good and very, very special. Absolutely. So this comes from the series that we asked the question, how do you use Linux? And this was one of the many awesome responses that we got out there. So please keep sending your emails in, even if you don't think it's special, um, like Gideon here, we sure thought it was special and awesome enough to feature on the show. So send your emails to comments at destinationlinux.org. We have a birthday to celebrate, gentlemen, and it's a very, very important birthday. It's the 25th birthday for Debian. That is wow. the distribution that I pronounced wrong for the first like six episodes of Destination <laughs> Linux that I was on. I think I kept calling it Debian until we got an email from a nice user. It's like, there's a reason it's called Debian and you need to fix it. But they were nice about it. So <laughs> there you go. Happy birthday to Debian as of August 16th. What an amazing project it's been. All of us have benefited and used Debian over the years. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's... It, even if you don't use it directly, you're still using it more than likely as like the, the vast majority of the people that the people who use Linux, uh, her first coming to Linux are using something like Ubuntu or something based on Ubuntu, like mint and elementary. And then they're, they're, they're using Debian indirectly. But so like, mm-hmm. even if it isn't using directly Debian, there's it's, it's involved in so many things that it's pretty much the foundation of Linux computing at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really good because if you if you go back to trying to use Debian, you then have to start learning some very simple basic things that you all take for granted if you're on Mint and Ubuntu. You have to learn about the sudo as file. You have to learn about permissions and how to set yourself up correctly as a user. So it's a gentle way in of, of learning some of the basics so that when you do go back to your, you know, your Peppermints and your Mints and your Fedoras um, that just work, You've, you've learned a little bit as to, to why they've worked. So, yeah, happy birthday, Debian. Yeah, absolutely. And I love in here looking at the announcement they were talking about the day Ian Murdoch announced Debian. And so they, they mentioned that he announced it on comp.os.linux.development 
And the words that were used, this is why the internet's cool because everything stays forever, is the imminent completion of a brand new Linux release, the Debian Linux release. Now, when he posted that, no idea, I'm sure, that it would have become what it is today, the foundation for so many things. And they mention on their webpage that uh, the inner workings of your nearby airport to your car entertainment system from the cloud servers hosting your favorite websites to the Internet of Things devices that communicate with them, Debian can power it all. So awesome news there. Absolutely. One of the best... Uh best news to have is, is the one of the most important distros to continue to be one of the most important distros so right absolutely uh, so also some really interesting news uh coming up in the future is lubuntu have announced in one of their latest development uh, updates that they will be switching to using uh, wayland for the release of lubuntu 20.10 no! oh 20.10 okay <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, not not anytime soon, but um, really well, relatively soon, I suppose. Uh, but there's they're going to be switching. One of the, what's really interesting about this particular thing is that they'll be switching to use the Mirror uh, project as the compositor for using it on the Wayland Display Server protocol. So it's they're going to be kind of doing a combination of both in order to make this work. So Wayland doesn't have a compositor by default, right? It Mirror has, is going to be the one that they use. Mirror used to be the what was thought to be the next Wayland type of integration, right? A Mirror used to be a competitor to Wayland in the sense that it was a display server as well, but it also had a compositor element. So it was kind of like everything all in one. But uh, when they decided to not use, like continue the Mirror project in the way that it was, they transitioned it to a whole new type of project instead of abandoning it like a lot of people think that it did. And what they actually did is to try to change it into a compositor for Wayland. So you can have uh, a universal compositor, which doesn't really exist at the moment, because right now the DEs that support Wayland have to build their own compositor, like Plasma has KWIN support and GNOME has Mutter support. But the other DEs are they're in a kind of like a like a, a limbo sort of like what are, are they going to have to build their own support or if they can use something else and mirror is becoming that something else. So Lubuntu adding mirror and top of LX cute makes it possible to have Wayland support while without having to you know, like reinvent the wheel type of thing. Well, let me ask you this. So Ubuntu 17.10, when it dropped, I believe that was the version that had Wayland in by default. Mm-hmm. But because, of course, I had NVIDIA at the time, that was going to be a disaster, especially back then with Wayland. Um, they had an auto switcher built into Ubuntu, which was the best decision, uh, in my opinion, that basically detected I had NVIDIA, automatically moved me back to an X session, and I continued on. Is this a situation? Do you think Ubuntu should try to do something like that? Where think, they, if people, because I think people were fearful, everyone's excited about the potential of Wayland, right. even myself. And I think the work that that team's done, incredible. I don't want to knock it down. But the fact is, it's just not ready yet. I've used it in Fedora recently, and there are many issues that, unless you're just doing very basic things on your computer, it does not do particularly well. Mm. And yeah. yet, doesn't do particularly well yet. They're working on it. So, with that being said, and I know this is in the future, Are they? is this going to be a good move for Lubuntu if they don't put some type of switcher in there? Um, if we don't 
they'll have plenty of time if they decide to make a switcher. They'll have plenty of time to do so because even if because it's two years from now, a little more than two years from now, if they decide to do it and they realize that Mir- uh, Wayland won't be ready for everyone, they could put the switcher in within six months before and have plenty of time to make that work. So yeah. mm-hmm. uh, seems like they could just borrow that code that was already used by the Ubuntu. Say, yeah, yeah it's quite possible. Been written, isn't it? Yeah, they, yeah. They, it's quite possible. They, so they there's potential where they they might not have to worry about doing the switching, but if it becomes an issue, they I would think that they would at least either not switch or do the you know add the switching ability for the NVIDIA users. Uh, I think the the amount of time that they have given for the potential switch is a very reasonable amount of time so that there it'd be, it'd be enough time for Mir to be ready to do what they that their goal is to do, be as a compositor for Wayland. I think it's it's definitely you know up in the air of like whether this is going to work or not because you know we're still waiting to see if that if this if the the foundation is going to be there but i think there's enough time in this time frame that it would be a high likelihood that it will work so hopefully is this a good move is. is this what we're going to start seeing from other distros going to i mean fedora to me is the one that comes to mind maybe they weren't the first they were one of the first distros that comes to my mind anyways when it comes to yeah. Wayland support. They were the first and main distro, yeah. It creates some issues, you know, uh, depending on the hardware people have. Is this a good move? Ubuntu is changing a lot. Yeah, this is, is it, is, well, right now it wouldn't be a good move if they were to do it right now. Uh, but in two years, it is possible that it could be at that point where it would be. So you'd have, if, if they can, the amount of work that's been put into Wayland over the years and also now Mir for the compositing is extensive. So with another two years, they should be at a point where it is a reasonable expectation of, 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 of functionality. Right. Um, whether well, it the actually is, is they have know. Simon Quigley, who's we don't want to ever let him know this, but he's pretty much pretty dang smart. So uh, <laughs> they, they have him working on that and I'm sure they'll be able to get some amazing things accomplished with that, I, I thought their Q&A was really interesting. Why are you switching to Wayland? They talk about the X implementation being old, kind of the things we've heard before. Wayland's mm-hmm. the new modern Linux display system. What about people with NVIDIA cards was in their frequently asked question. <laughs> That's how much of an issue it is. Um, they said more details to solve, but the plan is to get working with those graphic cards by that time. So yeah. there you go. Nice. Um, I thought... Uh, Mir was abandoned when Ubuntu Touch platform was dropped, and they said Mir survived and still has a team of Canonical employees working on it, which I thought was interesting because I didn't realize yeah. that myself. Yeah, so it was one of the I few first, things that didn't get taken down at all. When I first heard the news, I literally cringed. I was like, oh my gosh, why? And then <laughs> when I saw it was a future release, and then I thought about the team being involved in it, I think it will be very interesting to see what happens with Ubuntu. They're definitely changing things up over there. Mm-hmm. and we'll see how that works. Yeah, because it would appear that with their change to LXQT and now the change to Wayland, um, they're, they're sort of like chasing that performance um, side of things and trying to get everything up and running um, nice and smoothly. So good luck to them because they've, they've taken on a big challenge, I think, there. Oh, yeah. Yep. So another company or another distro, I should say, that, that's trying to improve performance um, is Deepin, and they've just released a 15.7 release, and they're advertising a lot of performance improvements in the latest iteration. Now, we'll leave the details in, in the show notes, um, but they go on to talk about some of the performance improvements they mention are ISO size reduction, 
mm-hmm. laptop power optimizations and memory optimizations. So I then quickly skipped through the rest of all of this and thought, yeah, okay, this is all very good, but what's it like in the real world? So out come the trusty USB drive, put it on there. And yes, it was nice not to have to wait for 3.1 gig to come down and just 2.5. Um, and then I started to install it. And one of the things I've got to say is, wow, their installer is superb. Wow. I think I can honestly say now that it is probably the single slickest best installer I've ever seen. What made it so good? Was it just the look of it or was it the options that they present you with? Well, it, it was the it was the simplicity of it. Yes, it looked really, really good and it was designed perfectly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It didn't have I mean if we if we go back and look at let's say Fedora's um, installer, for example, yeah? yeah. You're bouncing around all over the place, you're having to click done which is in the top left-hand corner. I don't know why, but sometimes you have to click it twice. You have to answer, I don't know how many questions to get Fedora installed. Now, deep in, it's like six questions. What do you want to install? Do you want us to put it somewhere or do you want to put it somewhere? And it just went click, 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 click. And then, then you waited the usual sort of like Ubuntu length, I don't know, maybe four or five minutes. Um, and then up it started. Now, hmm. to the human eye, can I see? Is it quicker? Can I see? Does it run better? No. Um, now to the downside, I think they've concentrated so much on performance that they've let a bit of regression slip in because I tried to install Simple Notes, and the error that it was trying to give me was obviously written in Chinese. I don't have a Chinese font, so I just had a nice dialog box with all squares on it. Hmm. So unfortunately, that was the end of Deep In for me. Um, but hey, if somebody else can get it to work and can can understand what these dialog boxes are trying to tell them, I mean, did any of you guys try it? Yeah, I I tried Deep In, but in a virtual machine. Um, and you know it's it's different in a virtual machine because you don't usually go through and install your own personal programs and all of that. So, is it pretty and beautiful? Deepin's always been to me a beautiful distribution. The installer mm-hmm. is gorgeous, uh, as you said. It's very simple uh, to use. I like some of the things that they've put in here. One particularly that they added NVIDIA Prime solution for laptops with hybrid graphics because my gosh. That is over all the forums on Reddit and people switching to Linux and all of this as a major issue that people run into when they have these hybrid graphics. So I don't know how it works because I didn't install it on a machine with hybrid graphics, but it's Mm -hmm. cool that they're working on that. So everything I looked at, I was like, yeah, this is good. They lowered the ISO by removing unnecessary things. Um, The issue, I think, continues to happen. I think Deepin would be ridiculously popular uh, if there wasn't a lot of controversy around it being a having China origins and conspiracy out there regarding their spyware and claims like that out there. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to be very clear. I'm not stating they're valid claims. I really don't know because I haven't personally investigated it, but there are lots of them out there. And I think Mm -hmm. that hurts Deepin ultimately. 
And one of the latest ones, they actually responded to directly because I think it was a YouTuber or someone who had basically stated they had found this cnzz.com links Mm -hmm. into their website and their app store is basically linked to this website. So every time you go there, there was analytics being captured and the particular YouTuber or somebody said that they felt it was spyware on the machine. Now, Deepin came out and responded and said, no, it's not spyware. It's the same as Google Analytics and that it's just basic website access stuff. Now, if you've ever set up a website, Michael, I know you've done a few. The analytics bit, yeah. pretty much standard. Like if you go through a host, they're going to tell you, hey, you want analytics for five ninety five? Like it's just a part of a website is getting analytics to know what's going on in there. People are claiming it's more devious than it is. I don't know the answer because I personally didn't, but I think that's the problem with Deepin. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. They do a lot of great solutions. It seems to be hindered by this idea, and I wonder how they could ever overcome it. Well, they, they have some they have some issues that are, in my opinion, it, I agree that it's beautiful. It's one of the best-looking distributions of Linux you can get. Um, but the, the spyware thing is, is you hit, there's really no evidence that proves that it's spyware or anything. Because uh, analytics is, as you said, um, pretty much ubiquitous. You're, you're gonna any any website you go to is going to have analytics. Because if they don't have analytics, they don't really know what to change, what is working, what isn't working, things like that. And they're just kind of accepting it as you know it is what it is, and just hope that they that people like it. So analytics are very important for web design and web development because that's that's the only way we know how to change things. But one of the things they could do is what I did earlier when I mentioned earlier in the show is to set up your own analytics system and I forgot to mention the name of that software it's Matomo uh, it, M-A-T-O-M-O and it used to be referred to they, they, it's a rebranding of another software so when you download Matomo the actual application is called Piwik or something like that M-P-I-W-I-K sounds like spyware to me <laughs> right for sure So um, so if you use that the, you're you're safe to knowing that the people, if they have Matomo installed, that they're going to be using, uh, they're they're collecting data, but they're collecting data, and they're not necessarily sharing it with anyone. Now that doesn't mean that it automatically anybody who uses Matomo is not sharing it. You're still needed to trust someone, but it is is you're if they're as long as they're not using Google, you can guarantee it's not being shared at least in that <laughs> in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the but in the, the overall aspects, you know, they could be getting reports to people and stuff like that. So there's really no guarantee in that sense. But I think if they this would might help them as far as their reputation goes. If they wanted to do analytics, that they use their own, they use the self-hosted version instead, because at mm-hmm. least in that point, it wouldn't be going. It would be going to like the the originators of the distro itself. That's interesting. Yeah. Now I'm going to just go play a bit a bit of devil's advocate here because I understand the analytic side of it. And when I found out that that's all it was about, it was like, Oh, it's a big hoo-ha over nothing. However, I was going to the app store. I wasn't going to a website. I was going to a program inside that distribution where I could install applications. Nowhere does it describe the app store as an extension or a website. Yes. So it was surreptitious. If they were something like um, Bodhi Linux, which go you go to a website and install software from the website, you immediately know you're on a website. And they've got some clever system where you can just click install and it works. Mm, that's interesting. 
the app store is meant to be an application within Deepin. And I think that's where they seriously shot themselves in the foot. That's a good point. Also, I think the app store and Deepin just automatically launches itself when you when you boot the machine. It's like at least the first time. So it like it'll automatically launch and then therefore automatically do the analytics stuff. So maybe mm. that in, in that sense it, it could be a neg- it like looked upon as a negative. But having said that, I must admit when I was testing fifteen point seven, I totally forgot about all the all the malarkey over spyware and all the rest of it. I just wanted to see was this thing quicker when I got it installed. You're yeah. kind of like, I'm okay with them knowing I'm watching Peppa the Pig right now because this is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Only it wasn't so awesome. So, you know, come on, guys. Do yeah. this with clever optimization. Make NVIDIA um, Optimus work or NVIDIA Prime work so you can get these hybrid. But don't forget the basics. Yeah. To I do like the it, fact that they have. To be able to install software. Yeah, I agree that they, you know, they, they needed to get the fundamentals down. Uh, but I did want to say that the uh, I do like the fact that the Opti- Optimus solution is called Prime. Yeah, of <laughs> course you do. Yeah, I kind of as, like as a geek, of course. Yeah, all of us love that. How about I get you guys ramped up a little bit because I I want to feel the energy in this podcast, and nothing will bring energy like six reasons why Linux users should switch to BSD. Oh, yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. I'm <laughs> so excited. So I came this across one. this article, and it made me think of Southeast Linux Fest because there was a lot of BSD representation there, actually. Mm. There were a couple BSD booths. There were people who were pro-BSD walking around, kind of spreading the gospel of BSD. And it got me curious, and I talked to an individual, in fact, uh, out in the uh, patio area about BSD, and uh, that individual, Bo, by the way, may come on the show because he uses Kali Linux and is a professional penetration tester for oh, network gosh. security and things. Um, but I was asking, you know, uh, is there any advantages to BSD because he used to be a BSD user over Linux? And so interestingly, it gets covered in this article. So let me read off a couple of these and then we could take turns of why you should switch. <laughs> we need to change the name to Destination BSD if these convince us to... BSD over Linux. Don't worry. This is the, it won't. <laughs> this is an opinion article I thought would be fun. So the first one is BSD is more than just a kernel. BSD consists of a kernel and packages needed to get things done, which are developed by the project itself. Michael, Linux is just a kernel. That's all it is. Yep. Better kernel, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that didn't convince you, but this next one. I know you'll agree with packages are way more trustworthy and BSD is reason number two, because all the packages are on a centralized package port system. Mm-hmm. In Linux, there are so many sources for packages. There's PPAs. It's confusing. Yeah, there's PPAs, there's flat packs, there's snaps, there's all kinds of stuff, sure. Mm-hmm. And now what's number three? But you didn't really answer that. I mean, that's, oh, oh, no, that's no, because that number three answers number two. Go ahead. Okay. Slow chain <laughs> equals better long-term stability. That's, right. That's reason number three. They're more trustworthy because there are fewer of them and they, they update very, a lot less. Okay. <laughs> I, li- I like marketing spin too. So, so you're, not, you're, not, you're not convinced yet? Not yet, this no. Is not, this is not going the way you wanted to, Ryan, is it? <laughs> I thought we are going to change the destination BSD by then. By the way, we are being joking. If you use BSD, it's fine. Yeah, more power to um, you. Yeah, this is an opinion article that somebody wrote on its FOSS, and I thought it was funny. So uh, Linux is too cluttered. 
it's too cluttered in Linux so, that often bounce people. Now this was true in Linux. People often bounce from distro to distro. Now I don't know if it's true in general, but it's true with all of you that I hang out with are definitely distro hopper addicts, <laughs> including myself, um, because they have to try to find a particular Linux version that works with their hardware at that time. But with BSD, apparently everything just works. I'm, Anyone buying that? I'm going to go with like most things don't work. You know, if you ever have peripherals that you want to plug in, there's a lot of issues where they, uh, that, that, that does not work. And there's also, did they, you ever use BSD, Michael? Yeah. A long time ago, but there, uh, to be fair, there has been a lot of improvements to BSD over the years, and TrueOS is a uh, probably the best option for anyone who wants to run BSD or at least try, we'll try it, out. it out. Yeah, because yeah. I think I think TrueOS is, is is pretty decent in terms of BSD. I gotta say, I was tempted to try out after you know seeing all the representation at Southeast Linux Fest for BSD. I was tempted to try it out. No. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm I just not. need I just need something clarified, Ryan. You said BSD is fine. Is this doggy festo fine? Yeah, I mean it's <laughs> it's just like a, all right, number five ZFS support. They have ZFS support now. They do mention there are a couple of Linux distros that have this, but uh, it's not mainstream. And ZFS mm -hmm. is basically has some licensing issue where it's being prevented. That may be overcome soon, but being prevented from being put in the kernel directly. Yes. And ZFS apparently is a reason why you should use BSD. Now, of these six reasons, one of them is a valid point, in my opinion, and that is ZFS. Yeah. It is so what does ZFS provide you that would make it valid to utilize? It's very fast. It's ve uh, It has a, t a great uh, redundancy system for like RAID setups and stuff like that. Uh, it's not really a good file system for like basic usage. It's fantastic okay. for like file storage. And that's where most people use ZFS is for file storage, like a like FreeNAS, for example. And uh, FreeNAS is a BSD uh, network attack storage distribution, essentially. Well, operating system, because they don't like calling it distributions, but anyway. Um, so ZFS has a ton of good, good features like snapshotting, uh, copy on write, all kinds of stuff. It's really cool, and it's it, it makes it where like you don't really have to worry about data loss and you also have to worry about like your system being slowed down because the compression system that's built into ZFS is like one of the best. Like it, it, so it, now I want it. I, I just want it. Why don't I have it? Well, well I mean, there is a licensing issue. Well, the, no. the, the licensing issue is that they call it Zeb's file system. <laughs> yeah, no one's paying me a dime for this. It's well, open source. You're not supposed to be paid. Oh, well, the okay. the they use the license. I'm pretty sure it's CDLL. And the reason is because that license is not like it, it has. It's not that it's not open source, which it kind of is, and it's not like it's not free software because it kind of is. But there's also like some there's some pieces of that Weird license verbiage in it yeah, that, it that makes it ambiguous, and it, okay. it, it makes it possible for the uh, for someone who's using it to potentially deal with deal with some issues. Uh, but I think uh, there was there was a prop there was a, a an agreement that. BSD, like some BSD groups made with, I'm pretty sure Sun made ZFS, and I'm also pretty sure that means Oracle owns ZFS. And uh, that's kind of why people don't want to put ZFS in is because of that connection. By the way, if you're a BSD user and Michael's wrong on any of these points, comments at destination. 
Yeah, feel free. I mean, I'm pr- I, there's definitely a possibility I'll be wrong on this stuff because I'm, I'm, I'm a Linux guy on Destination uh, Linux. And not, yeah, so the sixth so. reason is going to get you, though, Michael. I know it. The sixth reason is actually a negative to their points. Uh, it's the license. The license is why you should switch to BSD because GPL is considered by some not to be truly free because it limits on how you make it and use the software. BSD license only has three clauses. Take the software, make changes, and do whatever you want with it, yes. but somehow also protects the developer. No, it does not do that. Okay. So there's there's this reason why this is a negative. Uh, the license is better in the sense of not restrictive as much as the GPL. The GPL is restrictive because it requires you to, if you use licensed software of GPL software, you have to issue your code as GPL software. So gotcha. BSD, you can take that code and do whatever you want with it. So, so I could take BSD, package what they already did, and then go sell it on a website and, and it's perfectly call fine it Ryan's yeah. distro, change sure. nothing. And it's fine. You can also take BSD, free BSD, for example, and then uh, convert it into a operating system that you have massive proprietary combinations things and like your own file system and all kinds of stuff. And you can call that Mac OS, made by a company named Apple, and uh, you'd get perfectly fine with their license because that's that's within their rights to do so, gotcha. which they did. Yeah. So it's they so, have a lot of proprietary software you can't get back because the license allows them to do that. I'm sorry to any BSD listeners that may have accidentally stumbled upon listening to us. I did not convince Michael to switch, but Zeb, surely I convinced you to try BSD. Well, I, as soon as I saw those words BSD, it immediately sprung into my mind, yeah? Bad. <laughs> so not good. What is going on? We can't put down another another free and open source project like this. That's Don't not who we are. I tried it a while back, and it was seriously not user-friendly. That's um, true. It's not right. And I would rather do a full Gen 2 install than try and use <laughs> BSD again. Now, wow. It may have improved in the last 18 months or so, but I very much doubt it. But I'm ready to be proved wrong. Okay. So, if either yourself or Michael or somebody who has installed it in bare metal can come and have a chat with me on one of the live streams wherever I appear uh-huh. and convince me that there's more than six pieces of software to install, uh-huh. then I'll give it a whirl. I'll find seven. There's quite a bit of the software to install that is somewhat ported from Linux. But does it work? Eh, most of it does. The stuff that's in the port system does work. I mean, like, BSD's not awful. Like, True so BSD is, has like an AUR style setup, right? Where there's yeah, packages kind of. that somebody creates for, say, Simple Node or Steam and other things that you can go out and mm-hmm. then utilize. But it's there's actually port system. The actual what's really cool about it is that the BSD port system is actually the uh, the inspiration for Gentoo's portage system. Oh, so interesting. Like, uh, it's a it's a really cool um, it's a it's a really cool system and that gives you not only just compiling software but also can do binary stuff too. So like it actually is good, but there but fundamentally there are definitely issues of like user friendliness. That's that's a big problem. Like TrueOS is the only BSD operating system that is any user friendly at all. So like if you wanted to try that out, feel free. But I think the rest of them don't really fit that mold. Hmm. And one of our patrons has just given Michael the only reason he needs to move to BSD. Plasma 
is on BSD. Whoa, and maybe it doesn't That's blink true. on BSD constantly. Like, <clears throat> anyways, what else is in the new Michael? <laughs> so, thanks for that. Let's just completely skip over that part. Uh, but anyway, so uh, Opera Fifty Five was released re recently, and they've added some uh, a lot of interesting features, and they've added like qu quite a few things that like you can compare. Well, basically, if you're not aware, Opera is based on Chromium, so it has most of the benefits that Chromium has. Uh, By the way, also... I'm taking all the credit for this. You're welcome, users of Opera. They released 55 because last week, if you remember, I put Firefox on notice, and that's why <laughs> Opera came out and released, knowing that I would bring a huge influx of traffic over he, to their browser. And he did say he would sing He would sing some Opera, so it makes sense. That's right. Yep. Yeah. So this is all me. To go it's with all... his Mozart painting, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he took he him took down. down. How dare you? Yeah. Now okay. we have Samurai Jack. That's a whole nother okay. story. That's, that's, that, that solves it. That fixes it. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> so it is Chromium-based. I love Opera. I used to, when I was back in the Windows days, before I found Linux, before I was saved to the Linux world, the, I used Opera and uh, Vivaldi and others like that. And it was it's a very good operating system. Of course, for me... Opera's biggest thing was when it came on mobile, when it first kind of hit my radar back in the day, and it had the gesturing system and things like that, which mm -hmm. were really unique. I think Opera was also the one recently that had dropped or tried to do, I don't know if they're still doing it, the free VPN they dropped that they it, had but partnered they did with. That, but yeah. yeah, they had done that for a little bit, which was pretty neat. Uh, I thought because it raised awareness for VPNs, which everybody should have. Uh, I think at this point, uh, and it was always very reliable and secure. I liked it a lot. No issues with that. So I was glad to see there's another release, and it's available as a snap if you yeah, want to mm -hmm. go. Try That's it out. cool. I mean, I like I like I like uh, Opera, but I think I think Vivaldi is probably what I would go if I was going to use something that's Chromium based. I would go with Vivaldi. So you know what I've been playing with recently is Brave. You guys oh, heard of Brave? Yeah, I've used it. They have some interesting yeah. ideas and also some really odd ideas too well i didn't realize how controversial it was i was just like mm. i'm gonna go try this web browser brave and then uh i don't remember if i mentioned it or i was doing research and someone was telling me but as i was doing research i started realizing there's a lot of people don't like their model there's a lot of people love their model because they're doing some different things with how they're handling ads they're kind of creating a platform to be able to as you're browsing put money into a bucket that automatically start it gives that money out to the websites you visit most in place for showing their ads because by yeah. default it's very secure it blocks their ads but it will of course show braves ads if you set right. it up that way which is weird that. for sure and i understand why people yeah. are annoyed because they'll block the ads that go directly to the site and then if, replace it with ads that go to them yes they'll replace it with their own ads and if they get uh if the person who makes that site has gone through the process of setting up a connection with Brave to get stuff from the ads, then great, they get something. Well, what what do they get? Well, who knows? Like they haven't really said. But uh, what did, like the issue is that they also take it out without informing any websites that it's being removed. Mm. So like they, they yeah. could be just removing it. But then at the same time, Brave does some really interesting things at this, uh, where they have these like Brave points sort of thing. 
where mm-hmm. you can generate points and then give them to like creators that you want that create your like blogs or YouTubers or uh, podcasters and wink, wink uh, and uh, any any kind of thing like that. So it's it's a really it's it's controversial because they have some things that are kind of sketchy and other things that are like really innovative. Yeah, but this points thing is this a bit like the, the stuff you get when you go and fill up with you know um, Exxon or Shell or BP petrol, and you need fifty million of the things before you can get a mug. You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, is yeah. the individual user going to be able to get enough points to make a difference? Yeah, to yeah, actually. giving it to. In fact, there's actually a, a system where if you sign up on behalf of another, like a, a let's say a partner, someone partners with the Brave system. And mm-hmm. you sign up under that partner, you you get a certain amount of points just for signing up through that system, and also they automatically the, the partner automatically gets something like five dollars or something like that. Well, I can't go out and tell people go try Brave because I've thoroughly tested it and uh, believe it's completely secure and everything they say it is. But with that being said, I have enjoyed utilizing Brave a lot, uh, not only on my desktop but on my mobile phone. I like that they're challenging the norms of what we think about when we talk about ads and giving revenue to content creators. I actually like the idea of giving money, being able to put money, donating a certain amount of money, maybe it's $10 a month, that Mm -hmm. goes and gets split between the websites that I visit most instead of having those ads. By the way, their ads that they display, I've never seen them because they give you an opportunity to turn it off right away if you want. So they're, they're very... It's very interesting, yeah. and I'm not quite sure all the controversy where that's all going to land, but I like the idea that they're challenging the norm and that they're focusing very, very heavily on basically keeping your data private. That's their focus. Did they Do they accomplish it? I can't tell you yet because I haven't done enough research to be able to say for sure, but certainly that looks like what they're doing very effectively with it, and it is also Chromium-based. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, as well. So if you're looking to try out a new browser, maybe check it out because I've enjoyed it. I have it on uh, my iOS device, my Android device, and my desktop. So, yeah, nice. There are some interesting things about Brave, and I I do think that they that it is it has a bit, some benefits. As you said, it is kind of like the controversy is like still up in the air. I think there's some good things and some bad things. So like it's hard, it's really hard to give like a definitive opinion of it. But it is definitely worth trying. But one thing to, to note is that they have very few add-ons or extensions because yeah. mm-hmm. they they only accept extensions that they kind of like test and deem Which worthy. To I be don't in it. mind because one of those is the LastPass and Bitwarden, and all those are on there. So to the nice. core extensions to me are there. But if you or somebody has to have some other special extension, you may want to look at that and see if it's something for you but yeah i would like to have brave on so somebody knows someone from brave and can get in contact i would love to ask them a bunch of questions about this browser and figure out where they're going yeah Yeah. fantastic but the thing i like about this particular section is it's not just about oprah and about brave but it's about browsers in general and we and to be honest we could probably do a whole show Mm. and still not have time to get through every type of browser Mm -hmm. that's out there and what's great for me is they are developing it for Linux. They're making it available there you go. for Linux. They're not just concentrating on the Windows world and trying to get something to beat Edge, which isn't difficult, by the way. Um, <laughs> they are actually spending their time and you know putting in features that appear that appeal to, to Linux users. Yeah. So that's so that's really good. Yep. 
So to go along with that, um, and, and the fact that this was Oprah was done in a snaps, well, Flatpak One has been now finally released with lots of improvements. Um, now, again, there are probably way too many here for me to list. And even if I did list them, I probably wouldn't understand half of them. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to defer to, to, to Michael on this one. And one of the biggest questions I'm going to ask him is, will Flatpak 1 reduce the size of the Flatpaks? Mm, not somewhat, not necessarily, but it depends on the develop by developer if it's possible, because like it's kind of, and also in some cases it might add extra to it, uh, because they've added extra features that allows the Flatpak developers to. That's do it, more and there's too many options. I'm going to BSD. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's, it's yeah. Uh, the the thing that's really cool about this latest release of Flatpak is the the app permission system where it asks you if you would like yes. to allow it to do certain types of features. And that's really mm -hmm. cool. Like if you, if you wanted to, you know, add something that supports Bluetooth and things like that, you can have, you can give it permission to use it or not. And uh, they haven't, I haven't really tested to see if it's possible to like individually pick permissions and then continue on. Or is it like kind of like an Android thing where it's like, it'll tell you what the permissions are, but you either accept them all or don't use the app. I haven't I haven't seen uh, I haven't really seen any kind of details about that particular thing. But if it gives you like to like modularly pick which one you want and then disable other features of the of the uh, software just in case for other other purposes, that would be actually quite amazing. Like I would be. Yeah, don't take my word for this. But when I saw this article, I installed a flat when I was a flat pack. It asked for the Bluetooth. I said no, and uh, it continued on with the installation. I was able to use the app. So I think nice. it does, but mm -hmm. don't quote me on that because I haven't done it enough to officially say. That's very cool. There's there's only things. The only thing that's issue is that they kind of said that that was the, that Bluetooth might be separate from the other permission system. So like maybe oh, okay. like Perfect. I have I've looked into a little bit where they kind of said that there's like the Bluetooth is kind of separate but also kind of not. So uh, I'm not sure if it applies to everything, but it's really cool that it, it even offers any of this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. yeah. But again, a question for me then: this app permission. Is that going to be a standard that all developers now have to ask you, or is it an option that they can put in if they want to? I don't. I don't know. I think well, the, the fact that they say that you can be prompted kind of implies that it doesn't. It's not a requirement. It's not a requirement. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of which implies is a bit that. of a shame because it would be nice if they were to standardize. Because one yeah. of my biggest concerns with flat packs and apps. Uh, sorry, flat packs and snaps is yes, it's providing a, a very easy platform for developers to produce software and to give it to you. But there's no real guidelines that I can determine from a simple user point of view as to how they do that. And this would have been a great thing. If everybody has to say, this is what I want to take control of, this is what I need to use you can say yes or no, because mm -hmm. otherwise you're just blanketly, you might as well just download an exe file and install it because you've got no real idea what's going on in well, the background. Or to be am fair, I there's not intelligent enough for that. Well, I mean, to be fair, even even the there's there's issues where the, it could be asking you for permission to do things that you wouldn't understand anyway. Like, like the, let's say, for example, uh, someone decides to add a piece of software that requests access to the X11 server. What if someone comes to Linux and are just using flat packs because they heard it was an easy way to install applications and they're asked to use X11 even though they have no idea what that means. 
Mm-hmm. So like there there could be different issues where asking for permissions for certain types of things could be a negative and also could be a positive. So uh, Did you I, imagine I, having to sit there for 15 prompts? Can I can I use this? Can I use this? <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah, that. and then it's like, why? Why are you installing a music player if you're not going to give any of these permissions, type of thing? So and yeah, you thought UAC was bad, right? Te- technically speaking, there could be some some negatives about it, and and the development wise, there's a lot of things that are really really cool that are coming, like the new portal system for creating sandboxes and stuff like that. That is so cool. And what's also really cool is that the I know for a fact that some Snap developers and the uh, the Flatpak developers are working together so that the XDG portal system is actually going to be in Snaps as well. So that's really, really cool. Yeah, very cool stuff. And this next article is also something very cool. I don't know if you knew this, Michael, but you can change your file system in place without losing your data. Yes. Now, what I'm talking about specifically is if you wanted to go, say, from ext2 to ext4, but not ZFS, because we don't have that in Linux, then you can utilize FS transform and be able to do just that. And we got this out of the Fedora magazine. Mm. And I don't know, Michael, we're talking about Fedora a lot. Is something happening on the show where Fedora is going to be more relevant, should we say? Uh, We should should definitely say... um, Someone, we might need to hold it off for the, 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 after this particular the end of the yeah, show. People yeah. need to wait yeah, to hear yeah. if the you're, news there. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Just, just, just to give them a little bit of a tease. There's something's coming with Fedora, so you know, get ready. Just for so that. they know they have to go past the gaming section to get to that. Yes, yes. you're gonna have to listen to the past the gaming section to get this news. So we have some exactly. exciting news with Fedora, but this came from the Fedora magazine. I didn't know that you could just do this within the file system and not uh, lose your data. I figured you'd have to go in and format your drive and change the file system that way. Um, I did not know about FS transform and apparently it is possible to even utilize this with NTFS, ButterFS, mm-hmm. FAT and XFAT partitions, but that is not tested and they don't guarantee it will work, but you can do it. And apparently some people have been successful with it, but they don't support it officially. Right. Uh, officially EXT2, EXT3, XT4, JFS, XFS, those type of things. Yeah, there's some there's yeah. some really cool aspects to like this. This would be really cool if someone has a an old system that was like set up for extended two and they wanted to go to four. It allows them to not have to redo everything just to get to that. Like that's pretty cool. Um, but there's a lot of these file systems are that are not very you know known. Like XFS is a file system that's really cool and it's got a ton of great features. Uh, many of the features that are in ZFS are actually in the XFS as well. Not all of them, but many of them are. And uh, yeah, I have so, to admit, I'm pretty scared to use anything but ext4. I, it's mm-hmm. just, yeah, like for me, every time I see the option, I'm like, eh, this is the only one I know. But I know there are awesome features available in the other ones. It's just I, I need to get over it. But that's just the way my brain works right now because it's the only one. It's kind of where I started with Linux. Everything was ext4. Everybody re- recommended it. Now there's all these other ones coming into my radar, and I'm like, no. Go away. I don't want to know about you. <laughs> For the most part, you don't. most people don't even need to worry about anything other than extended force, so it's, it's fine, really. And, and to be honest with you, if I've got terabytes of data sitting on my hard disks, I don't care how clever you say you are. I won't be trying this anytime soon, not unless <laughs> I've got a backup of a backup of a backup, because that's just scary. You know, you yeah. take an eight terabyte USB that's sitting on extension two, not that you'd have had an eight terabyte back in them days, but you get the drift, yeah? And then you go to convert it and they say, don't worry about it. You won't lose any of your data. 
Yeah, right. How many times have we heard that over the years? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think you make a good point. Either way, you should back up that drive before you would yeah. attempt something like that. Mm-hmm. And um, but it still would be cool to to do and would make it quicker after your backups complete because you should be doing backups anyway. So there you go. Yeah, now that would be nice. But I tell you what else is nice as well: listening to the Destination Linux podcast. I mm. agree completely. I love it. I love well, listening now, to myself over and over again. <laughs> if you, you want too? to listen to those um, on your desktop, then try podcasts. It's a GNOME-based app that also has a flat pack available for install. It has a simple UI that takes a lot of its cues from the GNOME Music app. Nice. You can get episode lists, you can get titles and artworks of your favorite podcast. Um, and apparently there's even an option where you can speed play back those bits where Michael's talking. So that's, yeah, a, that's I, I downloaded this. I love it. It is such a cool little app. So if you want to listen to podcasts on your desktop, this is a flat pack that you can just go out there and install. It's very simple interface, but has all the core features. Um, you know, you can import from our RSS feed on the destination Linux page because this is the only podcast I listen to. Over again. No, I'm teasing. Of course, I listen to other stuff. Um, So I downloaded some episodes, and you could change all the basic settings: how many you want to store, how many you want to keep, blah blah blah. Mm -hmm. All the things you're used to in an app. You get the artwork, which is great. The only thing that it was missing is the show notes. There was no show notes when you went to it. So I thought that. I mean, if you're on the desktop and you're playing a podcast, I thought. It would be cool to have the show note links there so you could click on them and be able to go to the websites while people are talking about various things. But other than that, definitely go check this out. It looks like it takes some cues from maybe the no music player. Very simple interface, but it works. It's functional. Does it have support for bookmarks or chapter points? Uh, I don't recall it having that, no. Okay. No. That's that's, that's one of the the things I like. Uh, But most of the time when I see a, a desktop podcast app being released they usually don't have something that's like super important for me which is this the playback speed thing so it's really it's really nice to see that they're they're including that because i i typically listen to podcasts at ridiculous speeds i mean that's amazing because you could speed through all the times michael's talking and just get right back to me Mm. yeah yeah perfect you could change it midstream okay so you shouldn't use it on this particular podcast but um (laughs) or any other ones that i'm on but you know, it's it's nice to see that it's there. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. What's <laughs> not nice to see that it's there is more security vulnerabilities in Intel oh, chips. So Oh wait, uh, I'm on AMD. <laughs> Suckers. Well, okay, you get a you get you get a little pass on that one, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, so they found they found th- three more security holes. And uh, we're we're probably still got a late, like six more left, but you know, just that's just my guess. So three more vulnerabilities that have kicked off once again, and mm-hmm. are they already patched, or are we going to have to sit here and wait? Or oh, not we? I'm sorry, you guys over there in Intel world, are you all going to have to wait to see if that gets patched? Kind of. <laughs> So this one was really interesting because not only is it, you know, a potential exploit malware that could get into your machine and steal your information, but of course it also, you know, like we've talked about with these other exploits, it doesn't matter even if you have encryption because it also reveals your encryption keys as well. Wow. 
which so, is fantastic. Yes. Who wants to get AMD for with me? <laughs> I'm already there, man. Team Red. <laughs> but, but but I do actually want to let you know that I kind of figured out their problem, the Intel problem. Okay. Um. So did you, did you tell them? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna send it. I'm gonna send them the copy of this this podcast and the okay, video perfect. version so they can see it. Excellent. So, so I, I narrowed down their security holes to a, a singular position where that's, they need to work on. So if you nice. see right here, there's this hole <laughs> that you can just like write, get everything. See that little hole right there? Michael is showing um, for the listeners a picture of the Intel Inside logo that has a circle around it, but it's not a complete circle. Yeah, yeah I see it now. There's a little, little, little hole that's right there. That's where the data's leaking yeah, that, That's out where of. it's coming out for sure, yeah. That's not, wow! I, it took me a long time to to figure out that hole, though. But I I think that's going to be solving the problem for them. For, for you, good. sir, are a genius. Thank you. you fixed sounds, it. sounds good. Sounds yeah. good. Now again, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Are they miraculously finding these new security leaks um, periodically just to keep our interest peaked because they still haven't built a secure chip yet? <laughs> well, Intel is expected to ship new chips this year that have mitigations to the speculative execution, but some of them we don't know when, right? Mm -hmm. So until then, um, we don't. Maybe I, I don't think Intel would purposely like, hey, we've got more problems, guys. But um, I think that they probably are rushing to try to get yeah. some new chips out there. But until then, it's best to make sure you're applying those patches. Yeah. on a regular basis because they are patching like crazy. And there's a lot of word on the street right now about Intel's latest patches causing a lot of performance issues. So, yeah. And allegedly, they've been telling distro manufacturers that they can't tell us about it or something I read somewhere very yeah. briefly. I think they might have rescinded that again since, but... That would be very naughty if it if it is slowing us down twenty percent, but no one's allowed to tell us that. There's also some weird stuff that Intel's been doing with licensing issues, where they they changed the license of something, and then Debian decided they're not going to include the latest updated drivers because the it restricts them from being able to do it. And then there's a back and forth between Debian and Intel about saying like Intel says no, it doesn't do that, and Debian says yeah, it does. So mm -hmm. you know. Uh, well, us AMD users are laid back on the beach enjoying the sun <laughs> while you guys figure out your security loopholes. To be fair, though, AMD does have its own issues, just not as many of them, and they're not consistently coming out over and over. But, you know, just the Ryzen logo, mm -hmm. complete circle, no hole in it. Well, <laughs> complete circle. Actually, you know what's funny? The Intel, the, for the joke, the Intel inside has one hole. The Intel regular logo has like three or four. Oh. <laughs> well, now then, way too much red in this show. What? So time, time to bring it back to Team Green. Oh, gross. And the announcement that gross. NVIDIA are bringing out some very cheap RTX 2000 GPU. Super cheap. Everyone Super now can cheap. get one. Yep. Mm -hmm. yep. um, I'm looking now, forward to the cracking my bank open. Abs absolutely. Now, they're, they're talking here about the next generation based upon different types of um, GPUs and all sorts of other clever and technical stuff that I'll leave to Ryan and, and, and Michael. <laughs> but the bit, the bit I was interested in was that the RTX 2080 Ti will probably come in at $1,000. Mm. 
Yeah, that's if that's a, that's you a could steal. find one, and for a thousand dollars, and probably on eBay right now, it's more like fifteen, sixteen hundred dollars because I think they're all sold out already of all their inventory. They're um, all for pre yeah. yeah, crypto mine. I'm afraid I'm gonna gonna have to break out the baseball bat and start going and robbing a few banks to get <laughs> money to pay for these. Well, it's, you're robbing the banks. Other people may be able to get their hands on the much more reasonably priced 2070, which is only $499. But, you know, I looked at the specs of this. I It's funny because now I'm known as the AMD fanboy, which is true. It's true. But I loved NVIDIA for a long time. I had the NVIDIA 1080 card. I had the NVIDIA 1070 when I was switching to Linux two years ago for the first time. And that's why I could never use Wayland until now. Uh, now that I'm on AMD. But in any case, um, I like NVIDIA. I love the competition, most importantly, because it just drives innovation. To me, for the first time, I felt like this release from NVIDIA was very similar to Intel's release when AMD released their latest Threadrippers, where it was like a reaction or trying to get to market before AMD's new Vega 20 line comes out with the 7 nanometer technology just to get something out there to get people to hurry up and spend their money before AMD drops this new card. Because mm. the specs to me are not that much of an upgrade, especially for the prices of these cards from the 1080 line and the Titan X line. Uh, now, they're going to impress you with some you know, more RAM and some more CUDA cores and a little bit more megahertz here. But ultimately, if you look at the graph between them, you go from... The 1080 at 1733 megahertz on the Pascal to the 2080 at 1710 megahertz to the GTX or RTX 2080 Founders Edition at 1800 megahertz. It's just not a huge, and megahertz isn't everything, by the way. You got to look at mm, yeah, cores yeah. and everything. There's so many factors that go into this. Their biggest thing here that they have that they brought out was ray tracing. That's that's the new technology. So as far as, you know, being a major jump in speed and things on the onset, not seeing anything other than having GDR6 RAM uh, that's going to create a huge difference. But the ray tracing does look amazing. Mm -hmm. So, Michael, what did you think of this announcement? You going to be buying a 2080? Uh, no. Definitely Theoretically, not. if I gave you $1,000, <laughs> would you buy the Vegas 64? Yes. Or 2080. Vegas 64 for sure. Really? Even though yeah. it's going to be 2080 is going to have way better performance. I mean, I would I would prefer the um I would new prefer Vegas, to have the, the new Vegas coming out. Yeah. That, yeah. That, but as far I'm also like I I don't really care. <laughs> I don't have a very hard high-end thing, but if it's not my money, I would yeah. go for AMD, AMD for multiple reasons, but may, mainly uh they have really high quality hardware now, but also high quality support for Linux. That but those two combinations make it much better for me than than Nvidia in any way. Very if interesting. You a thousand bucks, I'd buy a new laptop. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And then yeah. you could use you could use um, the you know uh, new operating system, not new one, the one we talked about that has the support for the hybrid graphics. Deepin, it slipped Deepin, my mind. We could one. use Deepin on there, and you would be good to go. There's a. Is there any particular reason why it's called 2080? Is it is that well, the 1080, and then one more number above would be 2080. So there you go. Except for 1180. <laughs> I mean, they just completely boot, they just jumped a massive thing. Yeah. It is a new architecture, so that's why they probably went with a new number, like a second generation, because it's on the new 
Turing architecture instead of the Pascal. So maybe oh, that's okay. why they went from a one to a two uh, completely mm -hmm. there. I don't know. I'm just assuming there. But in any case, yeah, you know, the, the ray tracing was quite amazing. If you've watched some of the demonstrations, it basically adds a bunch of depth to already beautiful graphics. They showed mm -hmm. games in there like Tomb Raider and some other games where they were looking at puddles and other things. And it just, for instance, uh, in one, they were looking down the scope of a gun. And when they looked down the scope of it at a puddle, the puddle would become blurry. But it, with the new ray tracing, it was it would look like what you would see in real life, like the mm -hmm. puddle and the shadows and all the depth nice. are still there. And it sounds wow. small, but mm -hmm. it kind of reminded me when I was talking about the infinity edge that it's hard to describe until you're playing it mm -hmm. or using it that it gives you that additional engagement. But yeah. what I also found funny was the story on here of some of the people who were there at the event saying that, the card was capped at 60 frames per second and it was dropping way below that while the ray tracing was turned on. And in all the demos that I watched today on ray tracing, they didn't move the characters around much at all. They kind of mm. kept them still to look at stuff because I'm thinking there's still a lot of work to be done there, mm. which is another reason why I think this was kind of rushed on NVIDIA's part to try to capture some of the potential AMD switchers. Coming yeah, up. Intel or NVIDIA like in, in likes to like push like things that are not like they just like to pretend that it's not it's it's sometimes i like to pretend that it's ready before and when it isn't it's the same thing that intel does mm. it's it's yeah. kind of odd but but i think you're right with that because when i think it was when um amd said we're going to bring out the vega 56 oh look we've got a 1070 ti and it's better than the vega yeah you know the vega uh 56 and then i think they announced the vega 64 and all of a sudden we've got the 1080 ti which yeah. is better than the 64. So, yeah, I think there is a bit of a, a knee-jerk reaction. But I also think they were probably ready-ish to come out. But, yeah, let's get it out before AMD. Well, um, I think unlike before. the other ones, AMD card for the first time will be faster than these other cards, the 2080s, which hasn't happened, well, pretty much hasn't happened since AMD became the fastest processor out, which has been a long time. So, uh, it's very interesting. Speaking of AMD, by the way, the new GPU Pro driver is out for nice. Ubuntu 16.04, CentOS 7.5, and other distros out there. Now, AMD, the one area that they are really weird in is their whole driver thing, and it's a lot of it has mm -hmm. to do with the fact that they're in transition to open sourcing everything. But it is a weird world to navigate. Like the hardest the thing for me when I got my AMD card was like people telling me stop installing the drivers. You don't need to. I'm like, no, but I've been in, I've been in, you know, tech and building computers forever. You always have to install a video card driver. But with the Linux kernel, it's built in. It works fantastically right off the go. You really don't have to except for AMD. If you want to utilize certain things like OpenGL or Vulkan Pro development, those type of things, you would want to use the pro drivers. And I actually did a video on this. Yeah, that's 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 a good point. And uh, uh, the when I first started using it, I was really happy to see that they were focusing on not uh, not requiring the proprietary drivers, or and not, in, in some ways even recommending that you don't use them if you don't ha if you don't need them. So mm -hmm. that's that's really cool too. Uh, and I'm yeah. so I'm, I'm glad to see that there's you know new updates coming. It's like it's the when every time when I, when I'm so happy that AMD and like the competition between all the different manufacturers is is so much mm. like that makes me excited because. It used to be where there was no competition whatsoever in the Linux world. It was right. just NVIDIA and just Intel. So I'm absolutely happy that they have that AMD has, has picked up pace. So you know mm -hmm. they they might not be fastest yet, but uh, I'm looking forward to 
regardless, as long as they support Linux, you know, with the dedication that they've shown so far, I'm in. Yeah, and that was a, a very liberating part of my attempt to use a Vega 64. The, the fact that you could just put it in and bingo, it works. That yep. was that was very, very, so, very, very slick. So I did do a video comparison on this where I compared um, the Pro driver to the standard Linux kernel AMD GPU driver. And yes, if you're a gamer and doing basic desktop work, you want to stick with the kernel driver for your AMD card or utilizing one of the PPAs, for instance, recommended uh, in one of our stories down below that we'll talk about. And you will you will be much happier because the frames were like almost 30 to 95 frames per second difference just using the standard kernel over the Pro. So the Pro That's literally is what it means. It's meant for developers and people, you know, doing things with OpenGL and that type of implementation, not really meant for standard desktop users. That's a very nice and welcomed change to the typical usage yeah. of drivers. Uh, and also, a very nice and welcome change is the news oh we got my from Valve about the Steam having wine oh. support through with a thing called Proton, where you you can now use Steam. You can play, install, and play games from Steam that support that are supported on Linux via Wine. Yeah, yeah. I saw your video you did, uh, Ryan, about like about this this news. And it was really interesting because when you said that in, in the video, well, it was kind of, okay, I'm going to admit something that was kind of sad. When okay. when people said that you could play Doom on Linux now through Steam, I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. And you I was thinking the original I, yeah, Doom. I was thinking the original Doom from the 90s. And then I go watch <laughs> your video and you point out and, you, and it shows the new Doom that just that came out recently. And I was like, oh, never mind. This is awesome. <laughs> like, yeah. I already knew I already knew this was awesome because just the technical aspects. But the fact mm -hmm. that I was like, Doom, whatever. Like, oh, Doom. <laughs> like, I could play Doom on my phone. <laughs> Why would I care about having it on Linux, the original one? Yeah. Yeah, this is the one of my, I think it was released about in 2016. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's funny because if you go back to the 30 Days of Linux series that I did, one of the things that I kept getting comments on was, yeah, but you can't game. So back then I figured out on Wine how to get Doom 2016 to work and did a frames per second test between it and Wine. And back then you could do a bunch of configurations to actually get it to work. And it was one of my videos out there to prove that there's all kinds of different ways you could game within Linux. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And back then I think I had the NVIDIA 1070 or 1080, I don't remember, but uh, one of those cards. But in any case, I did the new video when this came out. I tried to do it the same night I heard about it. And I think I accomplished it somewhere like midnight or one o'clock in the morning it came out because <laughs> yeah. I was just so excited to try this out. It's incredible. This is a collaboration. First of all, we got to stop and just thank Valve for everything they've done to push oh, yeah. Linux forward. Even if you're not interested in gaming, this is an important thing for adoption of Linux. So mm -hmm. you don't care less yeah. about gaming. And even if you don't care about that, the adoption of it, and you want it to stay small, still the technology and innovation of these two teams, Valve and Code Weavers, coming together to do what they did and accomplish here is incredible because they are basically utilizing these games that are meant for DirectX 11 and 12, and they're finding ways to implement them through these environments, utilizing things like Vulkan mm -hmm. to get them to run and run really, really well, uh, especially mm -hmm. if you stick to the 27 games they support out of the box. But a yeah. lot of people are finding dozens of other games that work right now that aren't on their official list, 
but also work their Windows games. It's, it's incredible. Really awesome. Like, it's funny in the pre- previous episode we were talking about how Valve has done so much for the, the the Linux platform because they brought gaming to Linux and therefore they brought a lot of attention to Linux. Then, and I was saying like even if there's a like it's something they announced that's not a big deal or it's not that important. It's still it's still I respect them for doing everything they've done. And then immediately after saying that they release this and it's like okay now you're amazing again. Like you just can like yeah. I, I, I don't, there's no there's no way you can even respond to this other than like thank you just thank you this is awesome like yep. yeah like there's a lot of games on here like uh, I'm gonna go actually realize what Doom is and go play it now <laughs> yeah yeah I mean and I'm not a gamer you guys know that but this is huge for Linux um, the, the sort of one complaint that people have is oh you can't play games on on Linux mm-hmm. and okay so it's, it's only started with 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 27 um, but already people are going through their um, games collections and okay they might be starting with the oldest stuff and finding out that it works or they then go on to the forums and there's like a whole section now that's broken out of people coming along and saying yes but if you do this and you tweak that and you change this and you opt for this you can get it to work um, so yeah I think this is going to be absolutely fantastic yeah. uh, for the Linux world it's- so I, I echo with what Michael says thank you yeah, it's very easy to set up. You're going to go into your Steam account. You're going to go into settings. So you're going to click on Steam settings, and then you're going to change for your beta participation to Steam beta update in your set. So, you know, the Wine team is amazing, but getting stuff to work in Wine sometimes is really uh, can be challenging. And a lot of times that stuff stops working after a period of time, and there are issues and things like that. This is very, very simple to use which makes it, I think, so innovative in itself. Also, if the game supports it, utilize Vulkan because you can get way better performance. I squealed when I saw Doom on there, but I'm telling you, I full-out geek squealed out loud when I saw the game Near Automata. And mm-hmm. this is a game I've been wanting to play since it came out. I've been playing it this week. It works beautifully in Linux. And this is an amazing RPG by Square Enix. And I refused to buy it because they didn't have any ability to play it on Linux. So I'm not going to boot into a Windows partition. That's just not my thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, But I was able to play it now for the first time. And Dark One actually got me a code. For, I got it half off, which is cool too. And I uh, got, got the game and played it. And it's just, it's so much fun. And the performance is fantastic. Like there's no issue. I'm well over the 60 frames per second. There's no issues with saves or the storyline. I'm getting the full content of the game. Now, not all of them are that way. If they're not on this beta official list, then you may have various different issues, like maybe sound won't work in certain scenes or that type of stuff. But if they're on this beta list, they seem to run extraordinarily well from at least the two games I've tested so far. Yeah, Mm -hmm. this is also like, so we should address the elephant in the room about the, the potential of developers seeing that Valve provides this ability and not choosing not to support natively in Linux. And that you could say that, that, that that's definitely an issue that could exist, but I would rather them support it through this solution than not at all, which is currently the, the starting point that most developers and games have. So mm-hmm. I'm okay with the potential that a few might not want to do it. But then they also, once they like, there's also a possibility that developers will see how easy it is to make it work and how well Vulkan works and then convince them to want to develop for Vulkan. Because one of the, the Q and A's that they have in the, the announcement is that how do we know if it's going to work with 
your your platform and this just structure and their response is if you make it work with Vulcan you're a very good chance that it's going to work with this so absolutely like that 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 itself is a has a potential to gradually push them over to the Linux native anyway so like there's, I had there's that a critique thing. even on my video people were saying most of the people were freaking out like me um, but there were a couple of people who were saying oh there goes Linux gaming and I think it's a failed argument. Number one is we've had solutions where like wine and things out there already. So yeah. it's, it's not like that portion of it's new. Um, so that didn't kill Linux gaming. Linux gaming's only improved. We've gotten more games since that time. Um, the other thing is every game engine out there is getting to the point where they're trying to make seamless multiple platform releases as simple as a click of a button. Now yeah. they're not there yet but all of them are attempting it. Every single one of them are working on that. And even my brother who develops uh, games, he is utilizing that functionality and testing it out. And it's getting better and better as it goes. And eventually we're gonna get there. To me, this is the bridge between that time when developers can click a single button. I know that will never happen literally, but you know what I'm saying. It's yeah. gonna be, it's gonna be very easy to move over to uh, release your game for multiple platforms at once and now. And so this to me is just a bridge between that time period that allows a lot of people. And if you look at the comments on that video I did, there was a lot of people going, I'm installing Linux right now. Okay. You finally convinced me I'm moving to Linux. Like there were so many there. And that to me told me all I need to know about it, that this is going to be a bigger, a big game change for people because some people are holding out for specific games and now they have them. Yeah, on and, our platform, and that's that's nice. like fantastic news because there's there's so many yeah. things that like there's also games that I had never even heard of that now I want to go play with like the Near Automata I've never even heard of it and now you've convinced me that I want to try it. <laughs> oh, it's so good. <laughs> Near Automata is so good. Um, but l- what l- else do we have going on? Well, one of the things well, I want to talk about this before we go is uh, yeah. the the focus of this is even more like okay we're already going to hype the Valve thank you blah all that stuff yes. What's really cool is someone asked them, are there any plans for Mac OS support? No. They have no intention <laughs> at all, right? at least not right now, to support mm-hmm. Mac because they're focused on Linux. That is awesome. Yeah. Yep. Well, um, up next is something that we've got to hope that all of these Windows users coming across to Linux never find. <laughs> what? How dare you, Zeb? I got asked to review. <laughs> I got asked. Graveyard Keeper. And it's now out for Linux <laughs> on GOG. Now, apparently this is along, it's reminiscent of Stardew Valley. You know, you remember that game where Ryan wanted me to go plant square cabbages and rectangular carrots? Sure, and sure. And sort of like walk around a farm in flat 2D. Sounds well, riveting. I went, I went to the website because, you know, I've got to give these a go because I've got to learn that some games mm-hmm. are, they're there because they're nostalgic and all the rest of it. But I've just wasted three and a half minutes of my life <laughs> that I will never get back. So please, if you keep divvying up these games for me to review, it's going to be my grave. I don't know how to end up always getting these games. It's like so, somebody purposefully... Tell me, please. It's, there's, it's just a what mystery. What is likable? 
about it. It was just the biggest pile of nonsense I've seen, Ryan. Sorry. Listen, the, if, you, if you took the time to play Stardew Valley, you would change your mind. I promise you. Now, Stardew Valley is where you're doing basic, you know, and there's a lot more to it, but essentially it looks like a farm with square cabbages. But there's a storyline there. There's a <laughs> lot of adventures there. There's a lot of management there. There's a lot of very unique things where you go, I'm not going to like this game. Then you wake up, it's four o'clock in the morning. You realize you have to work at six and you've just spent, wasted your whole night playing the game because it just encapsulates you. You're like, oh, I've got to get my plants going. I've got to get, you know, I've got to water this. I've got to go find, go in the cave and get this adventure. And you start learning about the story little by little unlocking. There's something infectious about these games where you explore and you're crafting new things mm -hmm. and all of that. And I like the now, idea that it actually has a story, whereas most of these games don't. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, and I'm not saying it's like near Automata story, but it's a story, right? It's, it's yeah. there. And then there's Graveyard Keeper, which, again, reminded me of Stardew Valley when I looked at it. I haven't played it myself yet, but the graphics look like it. And But instead of a farm you get to bury bones and skulls and all this stuff in your graveyard and keep your graveyard running. I mean, so you're missing let's not, out. Let's not, let's not forget the talking donkey <laughs> that brings in the cadaver <laughs> or the cavador. Or the, uh, I've got a freshly rotting corpse for you, mate. Do you want to go and bury it? <laughs> oh, thanks a lot, donkey. And the guy goes, what? A talking donkey? What's going on here? And off he goes. And then he keeps going back to the house and there's a talking skull. Naturally, you know, of course, it's Graveyard Keeper. What, what is just, you, <laughs> you know what I love about our patrons is so uh, far, two patrons have already said that it's a lovely and awesome game. So, see, they we're outnumbering you, Zeb. This is really? an amazing Who, who's that? Where's the band? Paul, Paul? <laughs> where's Where, the band? Where's the oh, Paul, he's, he's your clone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Paul, Paul could have a game of like Pong with two bats either side, and it'd be fantastically reminiscent. Have you ever played Pong with two bats side by side? Because it's, it's an adventure. That's fun. <laughs> no. I do like. Right, well, I do. I do like the the, the best part about this game is my favorite is the way they describe the game because they know that it's a, it's kind of a silly, ridiculous game. It, they call it the most inaccurate medieval cinematary management <laughs> sim of all time. I yes. love games like this. Absolutely <laughs> adore them. I will own it at some point. It was a little overpriced, I thought, at $19.99. I'll wait for it to go on a Steam sale, but I will pick it up. Um, now, here's a section that we've added that a lot of people are liking, and that's the tips and tricks of the week. So I'm going to include, I'm going to break the rules a little bit in here, include another email because the email mm. is asking us for tips and tricks on something very near and dear to Michael's heart and also mine. I was going to allow it, but now I don't know what is going to happen. So we'll see. <laughs> it is. He wants, he said, first off, thank you guys for the amazing podcast, especially you, Ryan. I, You've added a bit again. There's a little, oh, there? I don't know how that got in there. Oh my gosh. You to read, you know? Oh, I've started <laughs> listening a few months ago and I've been loving it. I've recently switched to XFCE Great choice, my friend. And I was looking for a drop-down terminal when I learned you could use the XFCE terminal in drop-down mode with the command XFCE4-terminal space dash dash drop dash down. We'll have it in the show notes for anybody who missed that. Do you guys know any more cool tips or tricks with XFCE that I could use? Thanks again for your great podcast, Ryan Kyle. So oh, His name's I Ryan Kyle? That's cool. <laughs> 
So I put together some of the tips that I have with XFCE. XFCE is perfect out of the box. So it's kind of hard to come out with some tips and it can be very personal to what you want. But the first thing or the thing that I absolutely love is creating your own dock in XFCE. So instead of installing Docker or Plank or Docky or one of those others, you can literally just right click on your panel, click add a new panel. And because it's so simple with the way they do their settings, you can auto hide it, intelligent hide, and then you just drag your icons to it, make your own dock, put it where you want, and now you have a quick launcher in XFCE so you don't have to use any other applications, which we know sometimes have compositing and shadow issues and all that other stuff, which you'll never have when you create your own dock using the, pan- using, uh, the add panel option within XFCE. Um, the other options I have on here is I have a monitor switching. So if you're an i3 fan or you want to be able to move programs between monitors, I have a script out there that I stole from somebody else, uh, and made for and edited for some XFCE goodness to where you can just do some shortcut keys once you install the script on your auto launch and it will allow you to move applications between your monitors. I use this for gaming specifically. I want to move it between 60 hertz and 144 hertz monitor. I can just click a key combination and move the games between the monitors. And uh, XFCE goodies install, which is a good one to add if the distro doesn't come with it already, depending on what distro you're using, which adds some extra artwork and quick launchers. But you guys added another one in here. What was it? Yeah, I actually added one that I thought is one of my favorite things about XFCE. And, and I, I love that a lot of uh, DEs are bringing this as, a, as an option for their system. And that is the layout switcher or the XFCE panel switch. Mm. And it allows you to easily go into this this menu and then choose, let's, for example, if you want to use like a Windows environment or Windows-like environment, you can just click a button, click, choose it, apply it, and now you have a, a, a little, uh, mod- a whole modification of your, of your panels that makes it look like a Windows with the start menu on the bottom left and everything like that. And it also has like a Mac a solution as well. And it's, nice. yeah, it's kind of like the same thing that Ubuntu Monte is doing with their panel switching system. So it's, it's, it's really cool to see that all these, these different DEs are adding this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And the thing I like about it is because ever since we had Sean Davis from of, of XFCE on our show, um, every time I install an XFCE now, I have to have my four panel layout. <laughs> panel on the left, a panel on the right with the clock in the middle. And then as you just said, Ryan, the panel at the bottom, which is the replacement for Plank and Cairo Dock and all the rest of it. And yes, we know it doesn't come with all these curved bits and fancy, but you know, sometimes you just want something plain and simple that works. And the fact that you can save your layouts and use them at a later, at a later date. And if you go into your um, .local file, share XFC panel, and if you save that somewhere else, any any other XFC application that works with panel switch, as long as you've got those applications installed, drop that file back in there, load it up with XFCE panel, boom, you've got your four panel set up. Beautiful. Nice. Away. That's awesome. So it is, it is very, very nice. Yeah. Uh, so another thing that's nice, and the, the spotlight this week is the easy-to-use ISO-burning software Etcher. Yeah. Yeah, and Etcher is probably one of the best, if not the best, uh, or at least because of how user-friendly it is. Uh, And I'm going to go off on a limb and say that both of you have probably used this, maybe? Not only use it, it's the only ISO (laughs) burner I use. It's in my... uh, 
and I have an install script every time I distro hop. Etcher is the first thing I add in there in case I need to distro hop off real quick of the distro I'm trying. Yeah. So Etcher is amazing, very, very reliable, very fast. Mm -hmm. But there was something interesting that we came up on when we were discussing this show. And I think it's important to let people know about this because Brian and I have come to the conclusion that it is not Etcher's fault. The past... I don't know, 20 or 30 ISOs that I've tried to write using Etcher have failed so that when you then boot up, I'm not being given the option of UEFI. If I go back to some older ISOs from exactly the same distribution and burn them in Etcher, they work perfectly. So mm -hmm. it's not Etcher that's failing. They've, they've done something different to a recent round of ISOs, which means that Etcher isn't managing. So I'm, what I'm hoping is that either they change or Etcher works out what it is that's, that's causing the failure and, and can come back up because it definitely isn't Etcher's fault. It's, it's something that's coming along. Yeah. I think it's distro dependent. For instance, today I was mm -hmm. doing some Fedora uh, work and used Etcher to burn the ISO and Fedora gave me the UEFI option. Now, there are other distros that I tried and I didn't get that. So I think it's something with the I, the ISOs themselves, but it, you know, it's not perfect. Most people either use a GUI, most people probably use a GUI based burner. Uh, I think Etcher's the best by far mm -hmm. out yeah. there. I think it's the um, it's easiest to use and it's it's so straightforward. Like um, in the visuals on the, on the episode, you can see that it's just like select the ISO, select the drive, click flash, you're done. Like the, that's <laughs> such a simple solution. Yeah. I, I think I, the, the issues, but before we go, I'm going to just like point out one thing. When Zeb says that uh, the last 30 or so ISOs that he's used, that just means yesterday. Yes. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's interesting because we talked about this, uh, about Etcher being our software spotlight. And there was a, another one that people mentioned, which was Sousa's Studio Image Writer. And one of our patrons just mentioned that they think that one's better as well. And that is a great image writer yeah. uh, yes. that we, out there as well. That's not to say there aren't other great ones, because there are, but there are a lot of bad ones. And Etcher uh, <laughs> has always been the most reliable for everything I've needed. Uh, so that's why I recommend it. Of course, you could just DD, and as Michael calls it, the disk destroyer, and take your <laughs> there of making sure you put the right path in um yeah. but it could uh, destroy it it's not meant to but it totally could yeah <laughs> if you don't do it right you you yeah. could do something but etcher is more of a fail safe gui uh out there to use so yeah. and a very go. simple feature about it that i do like is is often i'm going yeah my iso's downloaded right let's get open etcher to oh blast i haven't put me a lot of other writers you then have to close it down put your usb slot in the stick and then open it yeah. up again etcher doesn't matter Pl plug your USB drive into the slot, go back to where you select your drives and it's there every single time. It's really slick. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's, if you haven't, if you've, if you haven't used anything other than unit, but you need to track out a, a lot of the other ones and especially at your, I used I to be a unit booting fan and then it be turned into complete terrible experience for me. I don't, I haven't gone back to it in a while because the experience was so bad for a while with it. There was a period where it was really good, and then it just tanked. And that seems to be a phase that these ISO creators go through. I stopped using it, I think, on um, Linux Mint 1010. Mm. Oh, yeah. it's been a while. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And there I go. That's why. It's been a while since it was updated, too, so it might have been 1010. Yeah. 
All right. Well, that is our episode for the week. A big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us, whether that's by watching us on their YouTube channel or listening to us as a podcast. Thank you guys so much for your amazing support. And Zeb, how can everyone get a hold of us? Yep. So remember that you can get back to us and let us know what you think or ask any burning questions via numerous methods. Um, we have email comments at destinationlinux.org. Our Telegram group, we've got Discord, Google+, Twitter, Mastodon, and a whole raft of other ways that you can find on our website at destinationlinux.org forward slash contact. So please keep the comments and questions coming. We love to read them. And you've heard yourself a couple of emails today that really show how well um, Linux works. And don't forget as well, you know, Tell us ways that we can improve the show. Um, even if it's something simple like get Ryan to stop mentioning his names in emails that aren't there. Just <laughs> let us know what you want to do. Do not send that email. I will ban you. Keep those <laughs> questions coming. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, keep them coming. And also keep those uh, those likes on the smash button coming. It's very helpful to us and uh, would be, be very appreciative. If you ever wanted to experience the show live, and you can join us in Zoom by becoming a patron Go to destinationlinux.org slash Patreon to become a patron and join us in the, the Zoom chat for the live experience. And also, you, you might have seen this big cut right there. Uh, you would have seen what I said if you were a part of Zoom at the time of the recording. But I'm going to keep that out. So just it'll be special for the people who are patrons and, and get to experience it live. So if you'd oh, like it's to special, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's so special. In fact, it reminds me of one of our patrons telling us they have no expectations for the show at all. <laughs> well, yeah. So so anyway, uh, if you if you wanted to experience it, just uh, go to destinationlinux.org/slash/patreon. And if if you'd like to help us grow the show, you can uh, rate it in, in like the various podcast apps. Uh, and also share it on social media and, and, you know, Twitter, Mastodon, Diaspora, things like that. We'd very appreciate if you could do that for us. So everybody have a great week. And remember, the journey itself is just as worthwhile as the destination. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Destination Linux podcast. Yeah. And guess what we forgot to do on the show? Announce the big news. Or was it only for We did forget the news. How did we forget the big news? Oh, my gosh. We even teased it and forgot it. And we were like, yeah, just keep waiting till after the gaming news. You know someone's going to be like, really? I had to sit through <laughs> Graveyard Digger to, to hear nothing? We should yeah. probably yeah. go ahead and do that then. Yeah, or or we could now? or we could do it. We just do it now. Yeah, we could just admit our we own mistake. We just do it now. We made a mistake. Sorry. Yeah, it's it not happens. like you guys have expectations about us. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> is this what you would expect to happen? This is what we do. So to be, to, this, let's go ahead and say that the the news right the the news is that we're bringing back the interview sections of the show, mm. and the next interview coming up is next week, and it's going to be Matthew Miller of Fedora. Whoa. Matthew Miller yeah. is coming on this show. Are you kidding me, Michael? I already knew this. But yeah, I yeah, he already knew this. He kind of actually set it up too, so he definitely knew this. <laughs> and I think that'd be really funny if we all turned up with, is it Team Red? No, they're Team Blue. Mm, no, they're Blue, all aren't of they? You need to they're they're also red because of Red Hat, technically, so we can, you can go yeah. with it. <laughs> <laughs>
It's fine. Everybody yeah. needs to have red shirts. That's no, the whole thing. Looking at the logo, and it's a nice crispy blue, so I'll have a blue shirt on. You know what, Zeb? I asked you a favor, and you instantly tell me no without even considering <laughs> it. Correct. That is just so rude. That's rude. <laughs> I don't even know how to handle you sometimes. Good. Good. All right. Ready? Uh, yeah. Good. Yep. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I was just about to go. He got you. He got you. Oh, that man. Perfect. That was <laughs> All right. Here we go. If you ever wanted to experience the show live, and you can join us in Zoom by becoming a patron by going to Tux. To, wow. By going to List Nation. <laughs> Edit. That you just promoted me. yourself on our show and you give me flex, <laughs> But your face was the picture. You realized as soon as that t- yeah. came out that you'd yeah. like, it, was like, it was the shock and the horror. I, okay, so here's the problem with doing podcasting on a consistent basis, or it, well, maybe not consistent, but like a lot. Uh, you get used to saying certain things, so when you start a sentence in a certain way, it kind of like just flows out, and then it's like, oh wait, that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> you have no idea how hard it is for me not to end the show with fill your brains. Fill your brains, yes. <laughs> <Exactly. laughs> that, um, that Michael earns you your own. Shut your face. <laughs> Congratulations, Michael. Thank you. Thank you you. got to shut your face, too. 